Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are staying home to watch the game and uh, are watching online. I'm sure you're watching before the game. Pre-game show, church, kind of next to each other. Uh, But if you are, uh, you got any 49er fans in the room? I was telling somebody earlier today, man, being a Buck fan today is easy. I'm not nervous. If you're a Cowboy fan, you're not nervous today. You're enjoying your Sunday. It's great. I know for 49er fans, today is a big day. Uh, If you're a 49er or an Eagle fan, Uh, obviously in just a few hours, a little less maybe, uh, they're going to be playing a really big game. And and if you, whether you're a sports fan or not, if you've been keeping up this year with the 49ers, you know that this year's been an interesting year for them. Uh, this year kind of started off with a, a kind of a rocky start, and they had some injuries early in the year, and it wasn't uh, till about uh, maybe about a third of the way through the season that they made some kind of strategic changes to their lineup, and things have gone really well from then on. Uh, about three months ago, they, they made a change at quarterback. And a guy who none of us in this room knew about or even cared about, named Brock Purdy, became the quarterback of the 49ers about three, three months ago. Uh, and, and if you've been keeping up at all, you know, man, he's done incredibly well. And, and if you watch the 49ers over this last year, you've seen, man, they've made some changes in other parts. They made a trade that was really important. And it's been beautiful to watch if you're a football fan because all of these different guys, both on offense and defense, have played their role really well. And they've been extremely successful. And if you're a sports fan, there's nothing better than watching a team, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, hockey, whatever you like, where, where you watch people that, that know their role and they play their role and they kind of do their job really well. They work together at a, as a team and it's beautiful to watch. Even if you're not a sports fan, you have probably experience that. You've been on a team, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your, in your education, you've been on a team, or maybe in sports, maybe you're a coach. And, and whether you're a sports fan or not, you, you understand how important it is that people on a team play their role. And, and there's nothing more frustrating than being on a team and not knowing what you're supposed to do or not knowing what your part in the process is. In fact, whether you are on a sports team or some other type of team, most of us would say, man, I want the the family, the business, the the school, the team. I I want them to be successful. I just just want to know what, what part do I need to play, and I'll be glad to play it. I just want somebody to lay it out for me. 
And when that happens, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And so here's a question that I have for you, and maybe you've thought of this. Maybe you've never thought of this. Maybe you're watching online and and you've been on a lot of teams and you've played a lot of different roles in in different areas of life. But but here's a question that maybe you've never thought of or maybe not in this way. And it's simply this. Do you know your role in God's plan? You've been on a sports team. You've been on a team at work. You've You've been on a team maybe in your school or one of your classes. You're on a, you, you play a role in your family and, and you know what those expectations are. But have you ever thought about this, this idea that, man, I'm part of God's plan. And, and do I really know what my role in God's plan is? In fact, maybe you've wondered this. Maybe you've thought things like this. You know what? If, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful, does he even need me? Maybe you've thought, man, does it, does it really matter if I pray, if he's already going to, is he already going to kind of do what he wants? If I say no to God and something that maybe God's called me to, is he just going to get somebody else to do it? I mean, does it, he is God. Like what part does my giftedness and my creativity and how he's made me, like what part does that play in his plan? Is it all already predetermined? Am I just a puppet? Or where, what part, what role do I play in God's plan? A few weeks ago, we began to look at a guy in the scriptures in the Old Testament by the name of Nehemiah. And, and as you look into his story, he's a guy and he has a story that, man, if you look into his story and kind of lean in, you really see kind of laid out for you what it looks like to be involved in God's plan to know your role and execute it well. And in fact, I believe that if you and I were to really lean into his story, it would give you clarity and it would give you confidence on your role in God's plan because his story sheds a ton of light on this question of, hey, What part do I play? What role do I play in this story, in this big story of God's plan? If you were with us a few weeks ago, you know that Nehemiah's story starts with a conversation that he had with his brother. And it's a conversation that that brought some news to him that was heartbreaking, And in fact, just to give a little context, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1. You'll see it up on the screen. Verse 2, and and let's look real quickly at at that conversation. It says this, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. So we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Basically, the the Jewish people were exiled. They had been taken captive by another country. And they had been in captive now for about a hundred years. And God began to allow them to come back to Jerusalem. And so when they were taken captive, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And since that had happened, God had begun to allow and open doors for some of them to go back and begin to rebuild the city. begin to rebuild the temple, begin to rebuild their way of life. 
And so Nehemiah's brother comes to him. Nehemiah, he's about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And his brother comes to him on a visit. And Nehemiah is very concerned. And he has some questions about, hey, how's everybody doing back in the city? Now that some people have gone back and they're starting to rebuild, how are things going? How are the people? And his brother says this. They said to me, The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Basically, Nehemiah couldn't have gotten much worse news. He says, hey, bud, brother, hey, how's, how's things back? You're, you're coming from home, kind of the home area. I know it's been rebuilt. Some things are supposed to start have ha- started to happen. How are the people? And his brother says, dude, it's not good. The, the people, they're in great trouble. There's shame. There's disgrace. And, and the walls, the defense system, it's broken down. The gates are burned with fire. It basically is saying, man, the, the people there, they're in shame, they're in danger, it's terrible, it's hopeless. And, he, and he's telling this to Nehemiah, and, and I don't know if Nehemiah was expecting like some glorious great news, but this news caught him off guard. And, and he says this, he, he reacts this way, and you can tell it caught him off guard, and it, it hurt him by his reaction. Here's what he, what he did, it says this, When I heard these words, when when my brother told me this, he says, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days. And as we look at this, we know that this number of days, he's talking about four months. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah, he hears this information, it breaks his heart, he spends four months fasting and praying, and it's during this four months and and this period of time where he has heard this news and his heart's broken and instead of moving on from it or pretending it's not there, he fasts and he prays and God uses this four months to give Nehemiah clarity on God's plan and his role in that plan. And so during those four months, and we looked last week at some of what happened during those four months, some of the conversations Nehemiah had with God. But during those four months, God gave Nehemiah incredible clarity on his role in what God was going to do. And for God to do what Nehemiah had thought through and had prayed through, it was going to take some miracles. It was going to take God doing something in the king's heart that that honestly seemed impossible. And and, and it, it happened about four months after Nehemiah heard this news, God began to do something in the king's heart. And we pick up in Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, it says this, during the month of Nisan, which is March or April, so about four months after Nehemiah had heard the news. He's now four months, you know, praying, fasting, kind of doing life. And it says this, 
during the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And so for Nehemiah, in the midst of what was really tough, emotional, I mean, just a tough time for him, from what we read, he still showed up to work. Like, like he was going through a lot. He was fasting and praying and, and kind of broken when he was by himself. But, but it seems like he's continuing to show up to work. He's the cupbearer for the king. He's the guy that tastes the wine and the food before the king does to make sure it's not poisoned. So, he, so he's doing his normal thing in the midst of all that's going on in his heart. And it says this, which is interesting. I had never been sad in his presence. So back in this day, it was not good to not be happy in the king's presence. Even if you had had the worst day of all time, even if life was awful, you faked it when you were in front of the king. The king didn't want people that weren't in a good mood around him. Because if, if you weren't in a good mood, then that might mean that he wasn't a good king. And so you faked it and you acted like you were in a good mood and you told that king how great he was and you told him what, what a great job he was doing and you showed him that by your happiness and your attitude, even if you weren't really happy. So, so Nehemiah, he's doing his job. He's faking it. He's happy in front of the king. He's never been sad. And, and then it says this. His, his happiness, he, he must have, uh, like, missed it one day. He must have uh, just got too much because it says this in verse 2. So the king said to me, why do you look so sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. For whatever reason, man, Nehemiah had done a good job faking it. But on this day, see, this king knew him well. He was part of his inner circle. And on this day, the king could tell that, man, something's going on with Nehemiah. There, there's something, and it's, he's not sick, but I, I can tell there's, he's very sad. Something inside of him is hurting. And, and, there's, and, and you've had this experience, and we all have. I mean, the, the people that are close to you, no matter how good a poker face you put on, they know when things aren't good or things aren't right. I mean, we lie to each other all the time. When, when it, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. No, and, and they know it. it they, it's just a matter of how much they're going to have to like reel us to get us to really tell what's going on. But, but even with Lori and I, like, like, well, she'll ask me, hey, are you mad or was something wrong? No, nothing's wrong. What would you make you think oh, something's wrong? I'm as happy as can be. Praise the Lord. Leave me alone. You know, seriously. And then, and then for her, I'll see her and, and you, know, so you can just tell. The, and you do the same thing. The people you love dearly, the people you spend time with, it doesn't matter if they're faking it. Like after a few minutes, you can tell that, man, something's not right. They can say they're okay. They can say they're happy. They can say there's nothing wrong, but something's not right. And, and Nehemiah the king knew him really well. They spent a lot of time together. Nehemiah just, for whatever reason, wasn't putting on a happy face that day. The king could tell something is wrong. And so Nehemiah, when he hears the king say, hey, 
dude, what's wrong? I can tell there's, you're sad. There's something inside of you. That's, you're not sick. Something's wrong. Nehemiah, he tells us kind of what his response was, how he felt. He says this, man, I was overwhelmed with fear. Because basically, if the king said, you know what? I only want happy people around me. So could someone kill Nehemiah? What happened? I mean, it, 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 we, it, we laugh at that, but this is how these kings did things back then. And he could have been killed. He could have lost his job. Like, you know what? I only want, I'm not going to kill you, Nehemiah, but you can't be my cupbearer. So his livelihood could have been gone in an instant. Or he might have thought, you know what? I have one shot to talk to the king about what's going on in Jerusalem. I have one shot to, to see him do something to help us. And if I blow it, if I just blew it because now I'm sad, man, I'm not going to get another shot. And so, man, it says, I was overwhelmed with fear. And here's what Nehemiah said. And replied to the king, may the king live forever. And please help me live too, king, because I don't want to die either. But he says this, why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed? And see, Persian rulers, who this king was of the day, they went to great expense building tombs for their ancestors, and they just that was a big deal for them. And so when Nehemiah said this, this, this may have kind of struck a sympathetic chord with this king. And, and the king says this. Then the king asked him, what is your request. Four months earlier, Nehemiah had received devastating news from his brother. The city of his ancestors was in great danger, dismay. The people were hurting deeply. Instead of brushing off the news and moving on, which he could have, he was 800 miles away living in a palace. He could have brushed it off. Instead of doing that, Nehemiah, he, he listened to his brother. He was broken. He mourned. He spent the next four months crying out to God and really seeking God on the issue. Now, four months later, he's standing before the king. And the king basically is saying, hey, what can I do to help? What do you need me to do? What can I do? And it's in that moment that Nehemiah's prayers and God's clear provision have met. And Nehemiah has to make a decision. Is he going to take a step? He's been praying. He's been fasting. He's been asking God to, to do something, a, a miracle in this king's heart. And now in this moment, this king has just said, hey, hey, but how, how can I help you? And so it's in this moment that God's provision and his prayer have met, and Nehemiah has to make a decision. Am I going to walk through the door? And we see what Nehemiah did. He says this, So I prayed to the God of heavens. Short, desperate, God help me. And then he says this. He answers the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, which I, I love that phrase, 
Because obviously, Nehemiah has done a good job for the king. And so Nehemiah is saying, hey, if, if I have your favor, if I've done a good job for you, if you look at me and, and, and you think good of me, then he gives him the request. He says, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and, and when will you return? And he says this, so I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. And, and here's what I love. I, I love this phrase, definite time. In the four months of Nehemiah's prayer and fasting and seeking God and, and having a broken heart, Nehemiah was prepared. He had thought through how much time he needed, which led him, when the king asked questions, he was ready to answer. And I love that. We can learn so much from that. The king, it says this, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. So king would you let me go back to Judah? Would you let me rebuild? Here's how long it's going to take me. Also, King, would you do something for me? This, this journey is, is going to take me about three months. It's a long journey. It's a really dangerous journey. And so would you give me official letters from you so that when I come up against my enemies, I can show them those letters and that will basically tell them, hey, this is the king saying, leave Nehemiah alone, and they'll leave me alone. And what's cool is, is the king not only gave him those letters, but the king also sent with Nehemiah. You read later, he sent with Nehemiah some of his security forces to protect him. And then he says this. <laughs> He's like, basically, while I'm, while I'm asking for things, could I throw one more thing in the mix, king? He says, I, I want to go, and I, I'd really like to arrive there alive, so if you could help me with some protection. But, but since I'm asking, let me ask you about one more thing. He says this, and let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple fortress, the city wall, and the home where I live. I mean, basically, Nehemiah's like, hey, can, can your boy get some wood to help him with the rebuilding? Like, would you let me go? Here's how long I'm going to be gone. Would you send security forces and, and help me arrive there safely? And then, hey, would you actually supply the wood that I'm going to need to rebuild? I mean, this is a lot. He's asking a lot, and he's thought this through. When the king said, hey, how can I help? Nehemiah was ready. And it says this. I love this, this just phrase, how this ends. It says this. The king granted my request through his servants. Or the king granted my request for the gracious hand of my God was on me. See, what started with a broken heart led to Nehemiah praying and seeking God. And then that led to an invitation by God to be part of the answer to his own prayer request. See, 
Nehemiah, he, he walked out of the king's presence that day with crystal clear clarity on his role in what God was going to do. Which leads us back to the question that I asked you earlier. And here's the question. Do you know your role in God's plan? Do, do you know your role in God's plan? Maybe you've been following Jesus for 50 years. Maybe you're investigating faith right now. Maybe you started following Jesus a few weeks ago. Maybe you're new to, to, to faith. The, this is a question for all of us. We are watching online. You're here this morning. Do you know your role in God's plan? See, this is a question that each of us needs to grapple with individually, but it's also a question for our church. And if this is a church that you call home, if this gathering is a home for you, it's a question that, yeah, each of us needs to ask individually, but it's also a question that has application for our whole church. And so let's talk real practical. If we were to lean into Nehemiah's story, and if we were to say, okay, what can we learn from Nehemiah's story that will help us know our role in God's plan? Here's some things that we'll learn, and here's some steps maybe that I think will be helpful to us if we, if we really want to know God's role or our role in God's plan. The first thing that we learn from Nehemiah is this, and I think it's a very important first step. Pay attention to what bothers you. If you read Nehemiah's story, you see that kind of the first step in this whole thing of him finding God's God's plan and, and his role in God's plan was Nehemiah didn't blow off what was bothering him. He didn't move past it. He paid attention when, when he heard this news from his brother and, and, and he felt this, this heart that was breaking and hurting. Instead of covering it up quickly and moving on, he, he paid attention to what was bothering him. And I think for each of us, as individuals to really understand our part in God's plan, our role in God's plan, it's important that we pay attention to what bothers us. We, we ask ourselves the question, man, what breaks your heart? Like, what do you wish was different? What burden can't you shake? That, that maybe you blow off or you move past, maybe you, you talk yourself out of it, but this burden keeps coming back to you, this, this nudging of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you, you, it's important, if you're going to know your role in God's plan, that you pay attention to that. And it, and it doesn't have to be this huge thing. I think social media, I mean, it's helpful for some things, but it's awful for other things. I think one of the disservices that social media and kind of this society does is that you watch people on social media do these huge, massive things, and so you discount what God's doing in your heart. Well, I can't like end world hunger. I can't end all the sex trafficking in the whole world. So what God's nudging me to do is not that big of a deal. And, and yeah, should, uh, I hope we end world hunger and uh, for sure want to, we should end sex trafficking and, and all those other big things. But, but it doesn't have to be this massive thing. If God's nudging you, if something bothers you, if something breaks your heart, if you feel kind of oppressing uh, from the Holy Spirit, take it seriously. 
If there's something in our city or at your work or in your school that you just, man, wish was different and you wish was better, pay attention to what bothers you. It's one of the first steps that you'll take and I'll take if we're going to really find out what our role in God's plan is. But, but then the second thing we see that, that we learn from Nehemiah is this. He, he went from that to praying dependently. I mean, first and, and always he was praying. He was telling God what bothered him. He was seeking God and, and gaining clarity on the whole situation. When God showed him sin in his own life in that process of praying and being desperate before God, he, he listened and he got his life right. And I think if we're going to, as, as an individual, really find out our role in God's plan, we have to first pay attention to what bothers us. But then, before we try to go make a plan and fix it all, make our first step, our knees, every day. God, this is bothering me. God, this is what you've laid on my heart. God, I wish this was different. And, and tell God. Tell him, seek him, do it desperately. Like, Lord, if something's going to change, it's got to be you. Ask God. And what happens is, and if you've done this before, you know this happens. As you're praying about different things, God works in your own heart. He points things out in your heart that need to change. And it's just neat how God uses things that, man, you're praying about for other people or about society to God points things out to you. So, so it starts by, by paying attention to what bothers us. And then we, we move to this point like Nehemiah where we pray and we pray dependently. But then the third thing, and, and Nehemiah did this so well, is we prepare wisely. I mean, Nehemiah, as he's on his knees weeping and crying and fasting before God, he's also listening. He's preparing. So if God opens a door, he, he's able to walk through. And God, God has to be the one to open the door. He's not going to push the door open. He's not going to manipulate the door. He's going to pray and he's going to prepare wisely. And so if God opens the door, he's ready to move through. I think sometimes we, we get to this point where it's like, man, we, we and for sure, we need to pray, 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 but also if God's doing something in your mind, he's, he's given you a mind, he's given you ideas, man, he's given you those for a reason. Man, write them down, think them through, prepare wisely. So God, if you were to open the door in this area that bothers me and that I wish was different, here, here's some things you've laid on my heart that I'd be willing to step through the door and do. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was ready when God opened the door. And what's neat is we're not in charge of opening the door. I remember when we, uh, when we were coming out here to plant. We were out here in 2016 for Christmas. And that was kind of the initial when God laid it on our heart to, man, maybe we should plant a church in, in this area. But we lived in Florida. We were a part of another church. We actually loved our house, loved our life, loved our friends. Our kid, we had a high schooler, a middle schooler, and a preschooler. And it was like, I don't want to move to California. 
I don't, I, starting a church has never been on my radar. But, but we said, okay, God, you've laid this on our heart and it bothers us when we're out here and we see people that grew up in the church and have walked away. And, and so God, you've, you burdened our heart. And so we'll begin to pray. And, and here's what we told God, God, we will take a step. And at any point you can close the door. And in fact, it was like, God, if you do, we probably won't mind it. Like close the door. We're good with that. But but what happened was we we would just position ourselves. We would pray and position ourselves. Lord, we're not going to push a door open, but if you open it, we'll walk through. And he kept opening doors. And so we just kept walking through. But we have to, and, and that's what Nehemiah did, prepare wisely. But then the last thing Nehemiah did that I think is so important, if we're going to figure out our role in God's plan and really move into it, is this, this last thing, work faithfully. Step through the door and faithfully work the plan. Don't overcomplicate it. I mean, at any point, God can close the door. Just be faithful with what he's laid on your heart. And here's what we have to remind ourselves. Because we overcomplicate this. We overthink this. We think we're not qualified. Somebody else more spiritual should do this. If God wanted a different plan, he would choose a different person. If he's laid something on your heart to do, and he's burdened you, and he's given you ideas for it, and then he opens the door, he's not waiting for somebody else to step through the door. He's opening it for you. He's opening it for me, so don't overcomplicate it. Sometimes we do that. We, well, man, the door is open. I wish somebody that was more spiritual than me and was smarter than me or, you know, had better talent in this area. God, would you uh, get somebody to do that? And God's like, hello, the door's right in front of you. I gave you the plan. What are you waiting for? And, And walk through the door, work faithfully. As I mentioned earlier, this is something that is very applicable to us as individuals, but it's also applicable to us as a church, as a gathering. To, to listen to the, the, the nudgings of the Holy Spirit, to when things are burdening us, when we see things in our area that we hope would be different, that we step into it. We do something about it. We, we execute what God lays on our hearts to do. And so some of the things, just as we kind of celebrate our fourth birthday and kind of looking towards this next year... Man, let me illustrate it by just talking to you about a few things that we're doing this year because of burdens that are on our hearts. Well, one, one burden is this, man, we have a burden for the next generation in our area. And I know so many of you do as well. We have so many coaches and teachers and, and people that pour into students and, and children for their life. I mean, that's part of a lot of your lives. And we have a burden for those people. We want to see them know Jesus and follow Jesus. And so a few things that we're doing for our teenagers. One thing we're doing this year for our teenagers is we're taking them, we're calling it a D-Now Weekend, stands for Disciple Now Weekend. We're taking them to a student conference in the Bay Area in March, a conference that we think will be a game changer for some of them, where they're going to be around other students, where they're going to be challenged deeply They're going to be kind of engrossed in God's word for a couple days. Distractions are going to be taken away. And they're going to be able to focus on what God's saying to them and challenge to step up. 
In fact, I think we have a, a little short video that's, uh, that talks a little bit about it. We can go play that now. excited about this opportunity for our students to go and be a part of this conference. We, we feel like it's going to challenge them deeply and it's going to help them in their walk with Jesus. Another thing we're going to do this next year uh, that's just kind of begun to happen organically and we're going to kind of make it official this fall is we're going to begin a weekly midweek children's program. And so, man, we, we want to see our kids know Jesus. We want to see them discipled. And so, our, our prayer is that this, this fall, when we start this, that we have 50, 100 children from our community here every week, your kids included, where they are not being babysat. Obviously, they're being taken care of, but they are being invested into. Families are being invested into. And we're excited about offering something new for our community, something new for our church family, where their children can come on a, on a, kind of in the middle of the week, just like our youth does, and really be poured into, and, and we believe God's going to use that kind of in their life in the long term. And so that's one of the things, and we can talk for a long time about things this year in this area of next gen because we have a burden to see young people know Jesus, to see young people step up from what's normal and live a life that matters. So we're doing a couple things about that. And we're doing a lot of other things too, but those are just a couple. Another thing, and we've talked about this over the last really six to eight weeks, and you guys know this, if you're part of our gathering, man, we have a burden for the thousands of people in our region that don't know Jesus and aren't connected to a church. Like, it, it should bother us that every single day we meet people like you do that are hopeless and lost. Some don't even leave their house because they're afraid. That bothers us. So we need more churches. And so you know this. Man, next year, we're going to plant another church in Yuba County, probably in the Marysville area. That's where we're kind of focused on. And in order to get ready for that, here's what we're going to do over the next few kind of six to eight months. You remember how we did sports camp last summer? Well, we're going to do two sports camps this summer. We're going to do them simultaneously in two cities. We're going to do one in Yuba City. At the same time, we're going to do one in Marysville to engage families, to reach families, to just kind of prepare the way for a church. Remember when we did our pumpkin party? We had like six, 700 people at that. Well, we're going to do two of those this year simultaneously. We're going to do one in, in Yuba City, and we're going to do another one in Marysville in the exact same time. Again, we want to engage people so that when we start this church, man, God uses it to just do whatever he wants to do in that area. This, this past, uh, and I told you I was going to share this, and this is kind of for kind of people that call City Walk home. Over this last six to eight weeks, you and I, my family, many of your families, personally committed funds to plant the church in Yuba County and, and also to help us get a permanent location for this church. 
So you guys know we started this People Must Know campaign uh, a few, uh, about two months ago, and it, the goal was to raise money to start a church in, in, in Marysville, but also to put ourselves in a position to uh, you know, have enough money to have a permanent location here. And over the last six weeks, let me tell you how much you have committed, uh, along with some partners that we have. We've seen over, uh, I'll get the exact dollar, $155,690 that you've committed because of the, for those two things. You know, the, before that, the most our church has ever raised was $8,000 to give away. We, we raised that a year or so ago to just give it to our community. And over the last two months, we've seen $155,000 committed. And a lot of it's already started to come in to help. And the reason I tell you that is because, man, you and I, if you're part of this gathering, man, we're trying to just follow Nehemiah's example. Like we believe that each of us is here for a time such as this. You're in your workplace. You're at your school. You're in the family you're in. You're in this city by, by God's sovereign plan for a time such as this. And you're here for a reason. And our church is here for a reason. And we take very seriously the things that God's laying on our heart, the burdens he's put on our heart, and we want to see God change things. And we're so thankful to just be in it. And I hope you think the same thing individually. And here's, here's what I'm going to say as we close. One day, they're going to tell the story of your life. They're going to tell the story of our church. Just like we're looking back at Nehemiah's story. And I hope that your kids at your funeral, my kids at my funeral, people that talk about this church 100 years from now, say this, you know what? There was a, they, they had a burden. There were some things that bothered them. They didn't wait for someone else. They actually trusted God. They prayed. They depended on God. And they took steps. They took courageous steps to change things. And by God's grace, heaven is more full today because of the story of those people. That's what I pray for you. And that's what I pray for our church. Let's close. Lord, I thank you for the story of Nehemiah. And God, it's... Uh, it's just awesome that you would allow us to now 2,500 years later to learn from a guy that, man, we, we would have never heard of, never knew of, but yet you saw fit to bring this news to Nehemiah that broke his heart. He, he saw the, the, the news, he heard the news, it broke his heart, and instead of blowing it off and pretending that it wasn't a big deal or kind of getting back to his own life, he stepped in the door. He prayed. He was desperate for you. And now, many years later, we look back and, and are just in awe of what you accomplished through this man, Nehemiah. And I pray for us today. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're watching online. And maybe for some reason, you have believed the lie of the evil one that your life doesn't matter. 
that you're not gifted enough, that you're not talented enough, that you're not, and you fill in the blank with whatever lie you've heard or believed. And instead of believing the lies of the evil one, man, what if just for a moment, maybe just even for a week, what if we just listened to the Spirit of God and said, hey, God, man, what is it that you want me to do in your plan? And then we just listened. And as God nudged our hearts about maybe loving a coworker that's down, maybe sharing Christ with our neighbor, maybe giving money to a family that needs it, whatever that is, we just listened to those nudges. And we, we prayed and asked God, God, show me how to make a difference in that situation. And then we just, if God opened a door, we just walked through it. And what, what if that was the rest of our life? Like, what, what if that was the story? Man, if, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you are bored with Christianity, I would encourage you to get some time with Jesus. Listen to his voice. Take out all the, the things that you're listening to and listen to his voice. And allow him to break your heart and bother you with the things that break his heart and bother him. And then just say, God, I'm willing if you'll open a door. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, man, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And for you, man, the first best step is to just, between you and God, just tell God, God, Man, I admit I've, I've done things wrong. I've disobeyed you. I'm not perfect. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave for me. And I don't want to walk through life alone. I don't want to walk through life without you. I want a relationship with you and just invite him. God, based on what Jesus did on the cross, would you just come into my life? I want a relationship with you. Change me now. God wants a relationship with you. He's just waiting for you to invite him. Lord, thank you for what you've done over these last four years. I pray that we would honor you by how we believe you and step out. In Jesus' name, amen.